every woman I talk to that's in the music industry, whether they're like a tour manager or a musician or an engineer or producer, there is complete chorus amongst everyone of feeling that it is unfair and that the progress hasn't really continued to where it should be. And it's hard because also talking about it more, especially me, like I get so het up about it to the point now where like, apart from the people that I already know and love, I just want to work with women or queer people. I want to continue that feeling. And like, I actively try and have a situation where most of the people around me are queer women or queer people. And I'm very lucky in the sense that most of my friends and co-workers are queer women, which is great and something that has really improved my life. Seeing yourself reflected back at you is so powerful and freeing. That was Amber Bain, a.k.a. The Japanese House. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. I'm Carmel Holt. UK singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Amber Bain has been obsessed with music nearly her entire life. As a teenager, Amber began playing in coffee houses and writing and releasing music under the moniker The Japanese House. Her career got underway before she even turned 20, and success was soon to follow. A fortuitous introduction to members of the 1975 led to getting signed to their label Dirty Hit. Her debut EP, Pools to Bathe In, came out in 2015, and the 1975 took Amber out on the road as the opening act, and she toured with her label mates Wolf Alice. Amber released a second EP, Clean, in 2015, then four more, including a live EP before her critically hailed full-length album Good at Falling came out in 2019, which she co-produced with George Daniel of the 1975 and B.J. Burton. The EP Chewing Cotton Wool followed in 2020, and then when the pandemic hit, Amber hit a creative block. Lucky for us, she found her way out of it and last June released her incredible second full-length album and her seventh release overall, In the End, It Always Does, which among other things marks a revelatory turning point in Amber's creative process. She worked with producer and engineer Chloe Kramer, which would be a life-changing experience of working with another queer woman in the studio for the very first time. As she prepares to head out on a massive 2024 tour that kicks off in April at Coachella, I'm so thrilled to welcome Amber Bain, a.k.a. The Japanese House, as this week's Shiro in the spotlight. Amber Bain, the Japanese house. Welcome to Shiro's. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on this beautiful new album. In the end, it always does. It's been four years. You're such a prolific creative, though. You're always putting out stuff. But what was the start to this album? Where did it creatively begin for you? Well, it's nice that you think I'm prolific because... I always feel like I'm the opposite of that. Like, I think I've released a lot of stuff, but over a course of a really long time. And I think, I guess with this album, I'd ended the tour and then it was the lockdown. And I think that was when I was like, okay, I'm writing another album. And obviously then for another two years, 
I didn't do anything. <laughs> well, I tried, but I just, in 2020, I just was not productive at all. I think a lot of people either went one of two ways. It was like, what, didn't Charlie XCX release like two albums or something crazy? And then I was like, oh, I'm going to release a million albums, but just had complete creative block. So then I turned the corner when I started working with Chloe, who is the producer who worked on the whole of the record with me. I'd never worked with her before, but as soon as I started working with her, I realized like we had something really good going. I never worked with a woman before and not a queer woman. And I think it just like injected a new kind of like understanding into the music and like made us like grasp queer elements to songs like Boyhood, for example, that hadn't really experimented with before. That's amazing. And I'm so glad that you brought that up right at the jump <laughs> yeah. because... jumped in. Yeah, because I'm really curious and intentional about looking at liner notes. Like every time I have a guest on the show, I ask the people sending me the stuff, please send me the credits because... There's part of this conversation that's about the artist, and then there's another part of the conversation that's about who's making the stuff. Who are the people behind the scenes? And I'm really interested in following that thread, too. And it always makes me so happy to see that there's a woman behind the boards, a woman producer. In the States, the number is still super low. Like, I think it's... yeah less than 2% or something of yeah, producers are women. Bonkers yeah. how... Yeah. But, I mean, there's so, there are so many women that produce, but I think maybe a lot of them are artists too and people assume that they don't produce. For example, like Caroline Polacek, Haim, like Charlie XCX, they all produce as well right. as being artists. And I have definitely in the past been guilty of assuming that there's a man behind it because that's just kind of like the rhetoric that is told to you from the start like the first ever meeting I had with a manager as in not my manager but like potential manager he said oh your your USP is that you're a girl but you can also produce and I at the time was like yeah that's so cool that I can do that and it's like why that that like it's like false information that if you're a girl it's special if you can because not many girls can do that it's like to me now it sounds as backwards as being like, oh, it's kind of cool that you can drive, but you're a girl. Or like, <laughs> you know, it's like, what the hell would that, like what difference would it make? But definitely in the past, I've been guilty of like assuming that women just can't figure out how to like make a beat or something. You know I mean? Yeah. So tell us how you connected with Chloe and tell us about Chloe. I don't know that I've encountered her name before. I met her through... My ex-girlfriend, she used to work at the church, which is Paul Epworth's studio in England. And she was an engineer there for years and years. And my ex-girlfriend used to also work in that studio. So they knew each other. And then she ended up coming to a show and I met her. And then we sort of reconnected like a couple of years later when I was in this sort of rut. And my girlfriend at the time was like, why don't you reach out to Chloe? Because... I knew that Chloe was into my music and and I was kind of, a, I don't know, I, I've only ever really worked with two people that, like BJ and George from the 1975 and I was quite hesitant to like work with a new person. I'm very like particular about that kind of stuff. And then I reached out to her and I decided to drive us to the studio and for some reason it took, I think it's supposed to be about a 40 minute drive, it took about two and a half hours. It was kind of an amazing way to sort of start the session because it could have been terrible and awkward, but we were kind of just like chatting to each other for two and a half hours and getting to know each other, which 
I've actually realized is a big part of how we work is just like talking to each other because to feel creative I think you have to be really open and you have to be really like emotionally vulnerable otherwise like I don't know if you're like in a mood or like you're feeling a bit like closed off you're just not gonna well I'm just not gonna be able to like write stuff or like sing well or because you don't feel comfortable and she's really good at making me feel comfortable and really like getting the best out of me and like making me feel creative but yeah she's an engineer but now she's more into producing so she's worked with like countless people yeah that actually, i'm seeing here um rex orange county lava yes. larue who yes. i love and uh and glass animals as well yeah. yeah oh i didn't know that actually mm-hmm. um yeah she's incredible and we've been working on lots of different projects separate to this together and like we kind of figured out that because it's so powerful working with another queer woman we're looking into like becoming a little production duo and working with other people because I think we just kind of wanted to share that experience and we've worked with a few people already and it's been amazing and yeah I I think that it's just like I don't regret not experiencing it before because I think I'm able to like recognize why I appreciate it so much of this now so it's been a really great experience working with her I'd never work on anything again without her I don't think That's amazing. And I'm going to have to take note of how I can connect artists with you and with this new production team, because (laughs) this shit comes up almost every episode, I have to say. Like, (laughs) so many people come to the table wishing that there was somebody. Say that it's hard to find, you know, um, the resources. Yeah. And that if they could only work with a queer woman on their project. Like, actually, I just had Rami on the show actually twice for this new album. And that was one of the major things we talked about. Also, just queer run spaces in general, like music venues, production houses. And it's a thing, you know, and it's hard to articulate and that's one of the things that I'm really excited to do with you if you're up for it is to articulate the difference and to say like, yeah, it is different. It is important. And here's why. Yeah, because people don't even know they should ask for it. You know, it's hard to articulate. And, and yeah, I know I've met Romy once and I know who did she do the album with? So she and and this was interesting. She ended up going through a bunch of different people. I think initially she thought she wanted it to be all women, all queer produced. Mm -hmm. And then she ended up working with Fred again. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, So she she co-produced the record. I think she mostly did it on her own with the help of Fred again. And then Stuart Price, I think, produced a track. And of course, Jamie XX did something. Yes. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, I'm trying to think about how to... I know Romy's on a football team. Actually, I don't even know if they're a queer football team, but like football being one of the things that make... That it just made me think of that, and like when I started, I briefly like went into that world when I was in London, of like yeah, joining a foot my friend's football team, a different one, and like suddenly feeling one like it was like a dating app for queer people, <laughs> queer women, and queer non men. <laughs> um, honestly, like everyone that you'd see on Hinge, you'd also just see on the pitch, which was quite funny. But also there was this like sense of community that I hadn't felt necessarily that much in other spaces and actually I started doing that when we were recording the album and I remember feeling like this mirroring of community from being with Chloe and then us both going to this like football pitch with a bunch of gays and women and I think 
the thing that ties those two experiences together is like seeing yourself reflected back at you and like it's very rare you're not the only gay woman in the room well I mean in my life it's not anymore thank god but um <laughs> but like in the day-to-day life like you go to a supermarket like especially where I am now in like God knows where in Michigan, like I'm definitely probably like one of the only gay people in there. And like you don't realize the weight that holds on you until that weight is released and you're around everyone that is is the same as you, at least the same as you in this specific way. And like once you feel like it's the norm, it just feels very freeing and you're able to like explore other parts of yourself, maybe that identify you other than this thing that you're queer. And it's just like, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just being understood on a level that's deeper than your average person can understand you on, if that makes sense. It makes so much sense. And so it also makes so much sense how special this collection is. I'm sure it's special in so many ways, including the relationship that I know is documented here, which I would love to talk about as well, if you're open to that. Yeah, but why don't we get to music? What was the first track that you worked on with Chloe? Oh, it was Morning Pages. That's one that has Katie from Moona singing on it. I remember going outside and texting my girlfriend being like, because she, I think Chloe was doing the drums and I was just kind of like, I was very protective and like this, I'm working on my laptop sort of vibes at the beginning. And then she was like, oh, I can give like programming some drums a go. And I was like, okay. And that was one that I'd thrown at a lot of different producers and nothing had landed. And as soon as I came back in the room, I remember being like, oh my God, she's got it. And texting my girlfriend like, oh my God, this is the best idea. I can't believe I have, I've left it so long to do this. And just instantly, like, just like George does, like me and George have been working together for so long. I've known him like 10 years. This is George Daniel from the 1975 for listeners who may may not know who George is. Yeah, yeah, I've known him 10 years. So we have this language. He just understands exactly what I mean when I say things and exactly how I like things to sound. And Chloe just got it instantly. And I think probably a mixture of she's just very perceptive and she's also been a fan of music for a long time. She's just like an incredible producer and she's her brain works in in a very similar way sometimes to me, which I really appreciate. Is there anything that you want to tell us about the lyrics to this song or what the song is about? Yeah, this song, it's called Morning Pages because during the lockdown, I was trying several different ways of trying to break my creative block. And I started reading that book, The Artist's Way. Mm. And I, to be honest, I read about five pages of it. Like, <laughs> I didn't get through it. And it's actually quite bad because I've called people would assume from the title of the song that I was like a big uh, artist way fan which I am but just the five, first five pages because I got distracted but basically the activity is every single day right I don't even remember how many pages just write like three pages and then you can get rid of them like you're just like scrolling whatever the first thing that comes into your head is and I wrote one and it's this song and I just wrote the lyrics in one and then I was like, I really like these lyrics. And then I put it in a song and then I never did the morning pages again. <laughs> so it's just kind of well, like you... a stream of consciousness. And yeah, I guess the lyrics, I guess they're about my relationship and a feeling of, it's just a snapshot of my life at that time. And, and I really had the day before, like driven to the cliffs in Margate to go for a dog walk. And there was this girl there who she had actually gone to see the sunset, but she was on the wrong side. So she asked for a lift. <laughs> 
back and she was just like a random tourist. And so I gave her a lift to the station and then I was just like, oh, that was the time where nothing was happening. And like in my brain, that was just like a magical moment. Now I don't know if, if I'd read that as like magical, but I was like, that's so great. Like that I gave her this lift and like had a little chat in the car. Like it just felt like what I needed to feel alive when it was just so repetitive. That's Morning Pages, and it was, was it co-written then, or just featuring Katie Gavin of Muna? It's a really weird structure, so I guess it's a verse. Her lyrics are very, yeah, she kind of had a prophetic twang to her lyrics, because she obviously had heard the song, and to her it felt like her lyrics are about, I guess, a love turning into something else, or maybe slightly fading. And to me, they weren't. And now I listen to it, and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> she just has a way of like, I don't know, she kills me with her lyrics and her voice, to be honest. Yeah, really so does. awesome to also just to have a collaborator like Katie Gavin on your record. Also, another track on this record, I saw a credit, a co-write with Charlotte Atchison. I don't know how oh, to yeah, say that last that name. Is Charlie is that Atchison. Charlie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Because that wasn't oh, in any of the... now everyone knows her real name. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's out there on the interwebs. It's okay. I think that's what... When she does writing, she puts her, her That's how name. she credits? Okay. Yeah. She yeah. came in... Her and George are together. And so Ooh. she was in, the, in and out of the studio a few times. And I was really stuck on what to do on this little bit of the song and that thing. And I just... I sort of had that ADHD brain of like, if I'm stuck, I just like can't even go there. I'm just like, I give up. But she came in and just like instantly started singing something like really amazing and catchy. And we ended up keeping that um, melody because it was so good. So yeah, I feel, I always feel bad because I felt like when the album came out, it said her name and everyone was expecting like a big Charlie XCX feature. And I felt like I was like sort of spreading (laughs) false news, but it's true. She did, she did come in and help for sure. It was great having her around, actually, like playing her the album. I remember there was a night where we all were in the studio and Chloe's a big fan of Charlie and obviously I am. And and so it was like me, my manager, Mark, Chloe and George, and we were all just doing like a little listening thing. And and it was nice to see that she like genuinely liked the songs because it's very different to her music. So it was a big compliment. 
It's an amazing, amazing album. We have Amber Bain here with us, The Japanese House, and the follow-up to Good at Falling is called In the End, It Always Does, her full-length sophomore album. So for those that don't know, Amber, your background, when did you start making music of your own and know that this was the path that you wanted to follow? Honestly, since I was about three, I was just obsessed with it since I could hold a, I think I had like, my dad had a little ukulele at first. He got it for me when I was a baby and I just became absolutely obsessed with music. I was obsessed with the Beatles for a long time. Like I made, I remember when I was in year, I don't know what grade this would be. I don't understand the years and the grades of America and the UK, but when I, I the yeah. equivalent of like, probably like six years old five or six I had a Beatles cover band at school and we used to walk around the playground like singing harmonies together there's three of us what do we call ourselves Beatle X I think it was called Beatle X because I think there was a band called Liberty X and and I think we were like being like we're Beatle X I don't know (laughs) Uh, and we obsessed with the Beach Boys and my dad used to drive around in the car and like he'd like play a game where he'd sing something and we'd sing the harmonies so kind of obsessed with doing that and then I think I always just like had this I guess you could call it some like manifesting (laughs) if you wanted to like I just kind of like had this feeling that I just knew that that's what I would be doing like it felt kind of like arbitrary to decide like what career I was going to do because you know I'd be like oh I'm going to be a political journalist at one point or like I'm going to be a vet or I wanted to be, I think it was always something to do with like writing or whatever, journalism. And then, but alongside I was like making music and I didn't really take anything else very seriously. And then what gave me like hope as having music as a career was in my last year of high school, I actually uploaded my song onto onto this random radio station. Well, not random actually, they're a great radio station called Amazing Radio, but it was quite small at the time. And I just uploaded it on there, to be honest, so I could listen to my songs at school because that website wasn't blocked at school. We weren't allowed iPods or anything. So if I had it on that website, I could put headphones into the computer at school and listen to my songs, stream it through that. But then it got picked up on this radio station. They used to like play it quite a lot. And then I got talking to like a bunch of different managers, blah, blah, blah. And then I met Matty and George, 1975 boys, and became friends joined their label basically which was tiny at the time and then they absolutely blew up it's so exciting being 18 19 seeing my friends who had just played in like a 200 person venue to then playing like massive shows and becoming really famous I guess and then me working with them it felt so exciting at the time and like my friends becoming like pop stars I thought I was very cool and then yeah I just like stayed with Dirty Hit for years kind of just like writing songs recording not releasing anything and then finally released an EP and then that's how it all started really what a story that's crazy first of all I just want to say like how awesome how supportive they were and that it was a good experience and a long relationship because it could so easily have gone the other way when you have a dynamic like that where there's dudes that are you know on the rise rock stars and a young woman, mm-hmm. teenager, really. Yeah. You look at that and you're like, 
okay, that could be great or could really not be great. Um, yeah. Sounds like it was a really positive experience for you. I think also just like, they're also really young at the time. Like they weren't like older dudes. They were like still super young in their early 20s, I guess. And I think when there's like a gay woman and straight mm. guys, like it just kind of takes an element of weirdness potentially out of the situation not that if I wasn't gay that there'd be vibes or anything but like I think it's almost just like enforced like a platonic relationship because it does feel like siblingy in a way like I think a lot of the time when we think about like older men and younger women like we feel protective of them because there's like both a power situation and also like a sexual thing at hand which feels uncomfortable and also I see it happen across the industry like repeated again and again that men help out younger women because they want to fuck them basically but like there was none of that I guess yeah I guess in the grand scheme of things that is lucky but also I've never really like even considered that with them because it's just not our energy at all and we just have like such an obsession with music and like we've definitely like not seen eye to eye on certain things but ultimately when it comes down to music alone we really understand each other. And it's hard because sometimes that does not mean you understand each other on everything. And obviously there have been things that I've spoken openly about, like with Matty specifically, things that he said that I don't agree with. But it's a conversation that is like continuous. I think it's better than halting the conversation. I'm getting more comfortable at sitting in this uncomfortable space. Um, mm, that's awesome yeah and I feel yeah. like even at the beginning when you asked like what my pronouns makes me think of that because it's like that's another thing that I'm like I've accepted that I don't think I'm gonna get to like a destination on that or maybe I will but definitely not now like a lot of things in my life at the moment I feel like I'm just like sitting and learning about before like actually acting on I don't know I think I think it's good to like sort of sit in that uncomfortable place of like the unknown and then you will understand what you really really feel about it like or maybe you never will and that's also okay and I feel like that with gender which is I guess kind of what boyhood is about boyhood was a song that started with me singing like absolute gibberish the actual demo of it it sounds exactly the same but I'm just singing complete gibberish but it sounds like real words we had that for ages but we almost like knew what the song was going to be about. I mean, the title is a reference both to literal boyhood and also that film Boyhood, which is a film that follows the life of this boy growing up. And it's like, you actually see him as like a six-year-old and then you see him as like an 18-year-old. And it's both a reflection on like how your childhood and different things that happen to you, whether traumatic or positive or whatever, like shape who you are. And you can choose to embrace those things or you can choose to set yourself free from those things. And like, it's kind of exploring like, what is the making of you? Gender and obviously being gay comes into that. You can't help that stuff coming into that scenario. Like if I had a different childhood, would I be non-binary or would I want to be a boy or would I be like the opposite and really set in my she, her pronouns? You know what I mean? Like it's kind of interesting to me how those things come into play. and um. Yeah, I kind of have landed on the I don't know stone. <laughs> I'm just sitting here like, I don't know. And that I'm happy not to know. And that kind of accepting the core of me, which is just, I don't know. I always jokingly describe myself as like a little creature because that's kind of how I feel. But yeah, I just feel like very content with whatever it is that I've ended up being. I mean, after a long 
time of working to like get to a good place but yeah that's kind of the essence of what boyhood is about and just lamenting something that you could have been but also embracing the thing that you are Boyhood from the new album by the Japanese house Amber Bain, our guest today on Shiro's. And I'm Carmel Holt. The new album is In the End, It Always Does. So going into the song, we were talking about gender, gender expression, gender identity. I was looking back at the history of the band name, The Japanese House. And interestingly, I just had, are you familiar with Ian Sweet? No. Do you know Ian Sweet, the band? Ian Sweet is Jillian Medford. And growing up, she was always very androgynous, and Ian became her name. That's what people Ian. were calling her. I love yeah, that. which I think is so dope. But anyway, that's very sweet. Yeah, and I don't know that she identifies as queer even, but she was just very much a tomboy. And yeah. when she started making music, though, she took the name, and then it became a very interesting journey for her because she would show up at gigs. And people would be expecting a dude. They would address <laughs> the dudes in her band instead of her, which is a very typical thing, stereotypical yeah. thing that happens, especially at live gigs or even in the studio when there's a band with mixed genders in the room. And she really had to do a lot, kind of extra pushing back, actually, as a result of the band name. But she's embraced it. And everything that I read about you on the Internet about why the Japanese house was you were very intentional about removing gender from your music and being a little bit anonymous. Is that true? I want to like fact check this stuff with you. It's yeah. true in a sense. Like I don't think I was actually being that clever about it when I decided on the name. I didn't really want to use my own name, which I actually realize now looking back, it's because I had probably deep rooted sexism. And I thought if people heard my name, they just think I was another girl with an acoustic guitar, you know? Because I feel like that's what people would think if they heard an artist with a girl's name and a surname. And I think I wrongly, yeah, I was like, oh, I don't want to be seen as that, which is just classic of what is taught to you. Like, oh, that's boring. Whereas like, how many guys are there with acoustic guitars? And so it's Endless. just, yeah, exactly. And yeah. It's, so it's just that thing of, oh, well, I'll be more interesting if I don't come across as that. So I was thinking, what should I call a band name? And I thought, what would I call a film? And then I had this idea for a film at the time, which was based on a true story, which is when I was five, pretended to be a boy at this cottage. And then the girl next door to the cottage fell in love with me. And she thought I was a guy called Danny. And we had this like romance 
well, as much as you can as a five-year-old. And then at the end, I told her I was a girl and she was just distraught and just this, mm. like, such a sad... I think that actually is a film. Um, that's basically the same story that's come out later. It's a French film. I can't remember the name of it. But I was like, what would I call that film? And the house, the cottage that we were staying in was called The Japanese House. And I just thought it had, like, a nice ring to it. And it sounded, like, mysterious. And I thought it was just, like, a really sweet idea. So I called myself that. And it's ironic because then lots of people actually assumed I was a boy from my voice. So I was kind of reliving my whole five-year-old self at the cottage, at the Japanese house. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. And like, yeah, I think it's ironic that that has become such a theme in my life. I mean, even on a really superficial level, like on um, lots of like YouTube videos, like performance videos, people will comment like, is that a girl or a boy? <laughs> like, I find it quite funny. And I'm also like, yeah, you tell me, babe. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a question I ask myself every day. So, yeah, I think, like, it wasn't this, like, clever sort of thing of being, like, no one's going to know. But I think I did enjoy the fact that I did feel, in a weird way, seen when people would question my gender, even before I was kind of questioning it myself. Wow. That is amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> it is. And you know what, though? I was going to say this to you before when we were talking about working with Matt Healy and George in the early days. And I was like, oh, that could have gone the other way. And you were like, yeah, but, you know, when it's a queer woman or a gay woman, then there's not that dynamic. And I was like, well, shit, you were like 18. <laughs> I wasn't going to assume that you were out to everybody at that point I'm as a young teenager and especially was. starting your career, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I wasn't out like... Wait, let's think about this. When I started working with them, I had a girlfriend who actually is now my best friend. And she was the person that was in the boyhood video with me. So she was my girlfriend when all that started kicking off. And then we quickly like broke up. And then I got another girlfriend who was Marika Hackman, who I was with for a long time. Who's again, still, it's the lesbian way that they're all my best friends. <laughs> but I think I wasn't like out in the sense that I don't think I have ever come out to my parents or anything. I mean. They obviously know, <laughs> but I don't think I've ever sat them down and been like, mom, dad, I'm gay. Like, I think they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, definitely not. I wouldn't have said it in interviews or anything. And I think there was like, I actually got a video taken down, a music video, because I was playing around with like having like a guy as a love interest. And it just feels really weird that I did that. And I think I was like, sometimes pretending to be straight to me feels gayer than being gay. Mm. Like it feels like its own little gay. <laughs> in, within do you know what I mean like I feel so yeah. gay that like when I would like get with guys I'd be like oh this is gay like I'd feel like a gay guy getting with guys it was I don't know so I think I was like experimenting with that whole vibe and then it just reached this point when I was with Marika that I was like I think I even asked my manager like do you think I should talk openly about that and he was just like yeah if you want to like do whatever you want and so I started talking about the fact that I was with Marika and that I was gay and then I was like oh okay oh phew and I by the way really already released like three peas that all had uh female pronouns on them I was singing like quite clearly singing about girls I don't think it was a surprise to anyone but like it's such a thing now in my music and I think I way prefer it that way like I used to shy away from it I was like I don't want it to become like a thing like that I'm a gay musician and now I'm like no please please include me in the gay musician group. Like, 
I should be so lucky to be in the gay category because there's so many good ones. So I feel like it's kind of like a cool group to be included in. Even Muna, I've been friends with them for so long and seeing them embrace their queerness in such an over-the-top way, especially with their most recent album, like it has the same feeling when you're at their shows or like when you're at, there's this artist that I love called Chapel Roan who I went to go and see one of her shows in London and it's just like the room full of queers. And like, I was like, this feels like when I'm on a gay football team or this feels like when I'm working with a woman. It's like, why would I not want my every show that I play to feel like that? And yeah, when I first started, obviously it was just a room full of 1975 fans. And now it's a room full of the gays. And I love that. It really makes me feel happy. And also just like, it makes me feel like, I think when you make music, I don't know, like I've got a friend who's a doctor and sometimes I'm a bit like, what am I doing? I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> our, our friends that work for charities or like a nonprofits yeah, yeah, yeah. and like, and I'm like, yeah. oh God, like, am I just like a useless person that's just like singing silly little songs? And then someone will come up to me after a show and be like, oh, like you are the reason that I accepted my sexuality or like you helped me come up to my parents or you helped me come up to my friends. And and then I remember that that's exactly how I came out or like how I accepted my sexuality is my favorite musician. I found out that they were queer. And Who was that? I blame Coco, Elliot Sumner. And I just like found out that they were queer and I was like, oh my God, everything is like, because all my friends thought they were so cool. And yeah, I just like instantly just felt like everything was okay and it like actually changed the course of my entire life wow um so if I could even like 10% of that do that for someone else then it gives me this sense of purpose and gives me this sense of meaning to my life which I don't think I would be able to grasp like obviously music can help and you can relate to it in so many different ways other than just like the gay thing but like I don't think it would be as easy to measure. And I think grasping onto that thing has really given me purpose. <laughs> oh my God, that is like, I'm getting teared up. That is so, <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you. We have Amber Bain here with us. The Japanese House, the new album is In the End, It Always Does. Let's play another song. So I certainly listen to plenty of music written to women, but I don't know that I've listened to music written to two before <laughs> my uh polyamorous yes my, yeah, yeah yeah that was an interesting situation <laughs> it was like I just fell in love with a couple and they happened to fall in love with me and honestly like the high of the beginning of that relationship was so intense I was like I have not one but two gorgeous amazing girlfriends <laughs> and I just felt like I was in some sort of dream like it actually felt crazy and I think all of us were in a state of euphoria for like three months we went on tour together so it's like three of us in a tour bunk on a bus which is crazy I think as a person coming into a relationship I've not done it the other way around so I can only speak for this side of it but you get that closeness that they have they were together for six years and then you're instantly in that and so there's like such a feeling of like almost like family it feels like a community because it's not two of you but three of you and that obviously extremely complicated emotions that go alongside that that are really difficult to navigate especially like I don't know how old I was when it started how old am I now I'm 28 now so 
was I 22 or 23? I have no idea. No, I must have been older than that. I don't know. Time is a blur. But I was in my early 20s and it kind of in some ways blew up. But I would like to think that everything has landed in a very lovely way. Certain people with other certain people and my relationship with the other person that ended up lasting another three years, just the two of us, like we broke up and that's kind of what, that mainly this this album is about that relationship rather than the three at the beginning. But yeah, like with the sadness of it all, I definitely would still do it again, as in that part of my life. I don't think I would ever be in a three again. For me, very happy in being monogamous right now. But I feel like really grateful to have had that experience. I think I'd learned a lot and yeah, it's very interesting. Not everyone gets to experience that. So it's kind of amazing to have had experienced that. And I just love that you're able to talk about it and write about it so openly. Like in addition to writing about queer love, it's like this whole other level of openness and something that I haven't heard represented. And also, even though it's 2023, like writing about and sharing female desire is still so like shocking for some reason Mm -hmm. and female sexuality. And so I love to see it. And I just wanted to acknowledge that and say thank you again for opening that door a little bit more. It's just another branch, I guess. People are pretty used to gay relationships, you know, in general now. And like, it's another thing that people sort of are shocked by and put off by because people just go, oh, well, wait, like three of you in a relationship? That's not right. That's not natural. Like kind of the same arguments that are used against gay relationships. And I think polyamory can be an incredible thing. And I don't know, I had lots of funny situations, like three of us going to a hotel and then being like, do you need a a twin room? And we're like, no. And they sort of look at you like, what? And then they sort of, you see them figuring it out or like just going like table for three, please. And you're all sitting there holding hands. Like it is quite funny to deal with. And it, and yet it isn't really represented a lot in music really at all. The main song about that on the album is Friends, the one that Charlie helped with. And it's, yeah, just like a fun sex song about having two girlfriends. And I guess the other one is Over There, which is the kind of more sad one about one of them leaving the relationship and feeling like you're sort of like filling someone else's life which is a strange, mm. strange feeling. But yeah, it's it's good to talk about and it's good to like, like with female sexuality, like talking about it more as if it's not a big deal and making it less taboo is a great outcome if, if that has happened whatsoever with my song on this album. And I think, yeah, most interviews, like I talk about that. So I think I enjoy talking about that stuff and like I'm very lucky that I've been able to so frankly without them being angry at me. <laughs> Let's play a little clip of one of those two. You pick. Maybe Over There. I think Over There is like one of my favourite songs on the record for sure. She doesn't stay Oh 
Over there is track four on the new album by the Japanese house. In the end, it always does. Amber Bain, our guest today on Shiro's. I'm Carmel Holt. It's been so awesome to spend all this time with you. I feel like I could keep talking to you for another (laughs) hour, but (laughs) all good things must come to an end. But I'm sure that this won't be the last time that we talk. Before we wrap up, I want to do the closing exercise that I do every episode, which is called the Shiro's Magic Wand. Are you down with this? Are you ready? Okay. Because we got to bring in a little witchy power to the end of the show. Of course. All right. So I'm going to hand you the Shiro's magic wand, Amber Bain, and say with this wand, you have the power to change anything in music for women and queer folks. First wave of the wand. Like, I'm sure the list is long and there might be few wishes. But like, first thing that pops into your head, first wave of the wand, what would you change? Ooh, okay. Um, let me think about this. This is where I struggle. Decision making. What would I change? Well, the first random thing that came to mind, which is crazy that it's still coming to mind because I feel like it's been a conversation since like the dawn of time, which is like festival lineups. It still annoys me. I'm so bored of festivals being all men. And I'm just like, guys, seriously. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. So I guess I'd be a um, an advocate for equality in festival lineups. But maybe that's quite a boring one. It's no, just it's thing. not boring at all. Have you seen the Instagram account Book More Women? No, I haven't. Where's I'll your phone? My, I'll put it in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Open up Instagram and look at Book More Women. Book More Women. Okay. Oh, if they follow me. Amazing. So for listeners, if you haven't gone to Book More Women or if you're following along and you've heard me talk about this Instagram account thousands of times. Apologies, but I'm going to keep talking about it until it's equal. <laughs> so Abby, she does this for free. And she just started doing this as a project. It takes festival lineup posters, shows you what it looks like for reels. And then she strips away all of the men out of the lineup. And then you see what you're left with. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like visually so powerful. So when you say that it's boring, it's not boring. It's like, I can't believe that we're still fucking talking about this, yeah. but it is still a thing. It really is. So, I'm just like, I don't know. It's boring that it's still a thing, but it's not boring to say it. I guess you just have to keep saying it. But I just, yeah, I just, I guess I just can't believe that it's still happening and like when I think about all the artists that I love like I mostly listen to women or non-men so I'm like surely I'm not just like the only one yeah (laughs) so yeah that's my wand my magic wand wave thank you for that wish (laughs) may it be so do you think that there's any difference between the way that it is in the states versus how it is in the UK for I'm going to put this in air quotes women in music one of the most horrific phrases known to womankind <laughs> Women but um, female musicians <laughs> yeah oh um, my god do you think it's any different or any better or worse what do you think I don't know I feel like a lot of my friends are musicians and most of my friends that are musicians are women so I probably have quite a skewed view on it yeah, like yeah. I don't really have a fair starting point um right but like every woman I talk to that's in the music industry, whether they're like a tour manager or a musician or an engineer or producer, whatever, lighting tech, like there is complete chorus 
amongst everyone of like feeling that it is unfair and that the progress hasn't really continued to where it should be. And I also think just like, it's hard because also talking about it more, especially me, like I get so het up about it. And when I talk yeah. about it more, I'm so defensive. So like to the point now where like, apart from the people that I already like know and love, I, I mostly, I just want to work with women or queer people. Like I want to continue that feeling. And like, I, I actively try and like have a situation where most of the people around me are queer women or queer people. And so that I guess that, yeah, it means that I don't really have a good view of it because I'm very lucky in the sense that most of my friends and co-workers are queer women, which is great and something that has really like improved my life because it's it's just like feeling, yeah, like what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, just seeing yourself reflected back at you is so yeah. powerful and freeing. Well, thank you for doing that for us. Amber, it's been amazing to spend time with you. How should we close the show? Want to pick one more track? Uh, you pick. You pick your go-to. Maybe Sunshine Baby. Maybe we go out with that. Yeah, that's a, that's a sonically positive. <laughs> sonically positive, yeah. Anything you want to tell us before we play it? I really love this song. And this is the one that I'm most excited to play live because it feels like people really seem to connect with it. And I just really love that. I feel like as a song it kind of encapsulates sonically like what I want to be making. I want to be a part of it I want to sing along The feeling when the windscreen wipers line up with a song For my stupid rituals Everything is cyclical Hold on to this feeling Cause you won't feel it for long You won't feel it for long Big thanks again to Amber Bain for being with us on Shiro's. Thanks so much for having me. Many thanks to Amber Bain for being with us. The new album by the Japanese house, In the End, It Always Does, is available now on Dirty Hit Records. Shiro's is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. Shiro's is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit shirosradio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiro's shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening. <laughs>